You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. We've got moon fever here at T-minus. We've been talking about the missions by Russia and India for some time, and we forgot to mention Japan, but we'll get to that later. And that excitement has been reflected across the world, but especially in India following the successful soft landing on the lunar South Pole. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi told members of BRICS at their summit in South Africa that it's a matter of pride and a pat on the back for Indian scientists. Headlines across the country have read, quote, The moon is Indian. India goes where no nation's gone before. And India lights up the dark side of the moon. It's been hailed as the most significant Indian scientific achievement. Today is August the 25th, 2023. I'm Alice Cruz. And I'm Brandon Karp, and this is T-Minus. India's rover makes its debut on the lunar South Pole. JAXA's launch of the slim lunar lander is expected this weekend. SpaceX gets sued by the DOJ. And our guest today is Indian commercial space company Dhruva Space's CEO and co-founder, Sanjay Nakenti. On to today's intelligence briefing. Chandrayaan means moon vehicle in Hindi and Sanskrit, if you were wondering. So what's the latest from the Lunar South Pole? The Indian Space Research Organization took to the social media platform formerly known as Twitter to share the following. Quote, All planned rover movements have been verified. The rover has successfully traversed a distance of about 8 meters. Rover payloads, LIBS and APXS are turned on. All payloads on the propulsion module, lander module and rover are performing nominally. So far, so normal, says Isro, although the head of the agency has been cautious about how the rover deals with the lunar dust. He told CNN's News 18 TV channel that, quote, the mechanisms, the moving items, can get entangled with the dust there. It can get into the moving parts and jam them. The bearings of the system may not work. The motors may not work. 
seemingly preparing us all for possible bad news in the coming days. But can we all just take a step back and admire this achievement as is? For a mission that has cost the country 6.15 billion rupees, which amounts to just about 75 million U.S. dollars, this has been an incredible success. To give you some context on that amount, which I agree is still rather a large figure, it's less than the cost of a Hollywood movie about space exploration. Gravity, which cost 100 million U.S. dollars, The Martian, which cost 108 million U.S. dollars, and it was less than half the cost of Interstellar, my personal favorite, which was filmed on a budget of 165 million U.S. dollars. India is proving that a lot can be achieved even with a slim budget, and it's making the country very enticing to investors. Speaking of which, Reuters is reporting that Larson and Tubro and Hindustan Aeronautics are among companies vetted to potentially bid in India's effort to privatize its small satellite launch rocket. We've included that story in our show notes, and this new interest in investing in commercial space in India really bodes well for Dhruva Space, who I'll be talking to later in this episode. Now, we did briefly mention at the top of the show that we should also be talking about the third country planning a lunar mission this month. Japan's aerospace exploration agency, known as JAXA, is launching its SLIM mission this weekend. SLIM stands for the Smart Lander for Investigating the Moon, along with its CRISM satellite, which stands for X-ray Imaging and Spectroscopy. According to JAXA, SLIM is a small-scale exploration lander designed for pinpoint landing on the moon's surface. Its mission is to investigate the moon's origins. It will also test technology fundamental to exploration in low-gravity environments, an important requirement for future scientific investigation of the solar system. The liftoff has been delayed due to bad weather, but has been rescheduled for Saturday from Japan's Tanegashima Space Center. Godspeed. And as if we couldn't be more excited about launches coming up, there's a rumor that SpaceX is planning its next Starship launch from Boca Chica in the coming weeks. Now, I must caveat that with this is pending the results from the FAA's investigation into their last attempt. But according to an updated notice from the U.S. Coast Guard, SpaceX may try to launch the Starship Super Heavy rocket on Saturday, September the 16th. All eyes will be on the FAA in the coming weeks to see if they will allow that to move forward. In staying with SpaceX, the Department of Justice, or DOJ, if you want to sound in the know, has sued the space giant alleging hiring discrimination against refugees and asylees. While SpaceX claims ITAR regulations restrict them to hiring only U.S. citizens and permanent residents, the DOJ disagrees. Despite thousands of hires between 2018 and 2022, SpaceX employed just one asylee. The lawsuit covers various roles at SpaceX, not just high-tech positions, and seeks compensation and penalties for affected individuals. Related to the story, today we learned that asylee is the nominal derivative of asylum and refers to someone who has already been granted asylum, as opposed to an asylum seeker who is someone still seeking protection. The more you know. Absolutely. And a brief mention, the launch of the four international astronauts on SpaceX's Falcon 9 to the ISS has been postponed by a day. Interestingly, the ISS recently maneuvered to avoid space debris from a 2007 Chinese missile test, And that's all we have to say about that. Despite heightened tensions over Ukraine, NASA and Roscosmos have reaffirmed collaboration, agreeing to an extra Soyuz flight for an American astronaut. 
This decision aligns with the ongoing cross-flight arrangement between NASA and Roscosmos for the ISS. While geopolitical strains persist, space cooperation remains a unifying thread, although Russia has hinted at future independent space station endeavors. And on to some lighter news. Space SPACs are back. Mission Control Acquisition Corporation, a special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC, focused on global space economy, aims to raise 100 million US dollars through an IPO, targeting businesses in space communications, tourism, and more. In a recent SEC filing, the company outlined plans to offer 10 million stock units at $10 each, with an anticipated market cap of 126 million US dollars. Set to list on the New York Stock Exchange as MISNU, the company is to be led by ex-NASA executive Kira Blackwell. The U.S. Space Force has launched the Tactically Responsive Space Challenge, inviting bids for rapid satellite deployment solutions during emergencies. Proposals submitted between August 30th and September 28th can earn up to $1.7 million U.S. dollars on S-contracts. The Space Force is looking for rapid response solutions across launch, satellite, ground systems, and space logistics, with some response times in less than 24 hours. The challenge extends beyond launch services, exploring concepts like on-orbit pre-positioned payloads. The broad initiative covers six areas, emphasizing mature technologies for prototyping in 15 months and deployment within two years. And we've included a link in the show notes for those interested to apply. Biosat's recently launched Inmarsat 6 F2 satellite has encountered a power subsystem anomaly. This comes shortly after another malfunction in Viasat's portfolio when the boom arm of the Viasat 3 America satellite failed to extend, degrading the satellite's capabilities. Airbus, the manufacturer of the new Inmarsat 6 F2 satellite, has never seen this power subsystem anomaly in its geostationary telecommunications satellites before. In an official press release, Viasat claimed that this anomaly won't impact customers or financial forecasts. With the recent 7.3 billion US dollar Inmarsat acquisition, Viasat doubled down on its commitment to a resilient, redundant network. They also highlighted ongoing construction of other L-band and KA-band satellites to bolster their global services constellation. Space is hard, my friends. Ahead of a UN meeting on space threats scheduled for August 28th, 27 EU member states committed not to conduct destructive direct descent anti-satellite tests. This follows a U.S. declaration against such tests signed in 2022 after a Russian ASAT test created significant debris that threatened the International Space Station. While the UN has encouraged nations to adopt similar stances, individual commitments are sought for a broader international consensus. The forthcoming UN working session aims to finalize such measures, but reaching substantial agreements remains uncertain. SpinLaunch, a U.S.-based kinetic launch company, is eyeing Western Australia's remote south coast for its novel orbital accelerator, a technology that leverages kinetic energy to catapult rockets into space. As part of the announcement, Australian National University astrophysicist Brad Tucker emphasized the remote region's appeal for launches. Given its geographical isolation, favorable weather, and geopolitical stability. With satellites in high demand, Australia emerges as an attractive hub for space enterprises, promising economic growth and community development akin to other space centric locations like Cape Canaveral. 
Spin Launch built its suborbital version of its accelerator at Spaceport America in New Mexico, but has struggled to find an orbital launch site in the Americas. Orbital Sidekick has publicly shared the first images from its new hyperspectral satellites, part of its ghost constellation, capable of detecting 472 light bands with 8-meter resolution. These satellites, initially launched for oil and gas pipeline monitoring, spotlight methane concentrations and employ AI to identify leaks. After surveying 12,000 miles and identifying 100 leaks in 2022, Orbital Sidekick is now advocating for more real-time infrastructure oversight. The company anticipates expanding the Ghost constellation by three satellites by 2024. Methane or methane, you decide. Weather intelligence firm Tomorrow.io has announced the first data from its radar satellites that can gauge precipitation intensity from space. This advancement could provide real-time radar-based weather forecasting that fills a coverage gap for billions globally. As the race for space-based weather monitoring intensifies, with entities like Rocket Lab and NASA joining in, Tomorrow.io, backed by the Defense Department and NOAA, signifies a new era in satellite-enhanced weather prediction and Earth observation. And to kick off the weekend, we have some selected reading for you as well. The first is a thought piece around how the space industry can help stimulate the broader EU economy. The second is a fun article from Bloomberg about how NASA selected Sally Ride to be the first American woman in space. And the third is a detailed look at how the U.S. government is totally reliant on SpaceX for its myriad space programs. And as always, the links can be found in the show notes. And if you haven't had a chance yet to submit our new audience survey, today is the final day. It only takes about one minute to complete. It's linked at the very top of the show notes, and we really appreciate your feedback. Hey, T-Minus crew, tune in tomorrow for T-Minus Deep Space, our show for extended interviews, special editions, and deep dives with some of the most influential professionals in the space industry. Tomorrow, we have Druva Space CEO and co-founder Sanjay Nakanti. Check it out while you're mowing the lawn, grocery shopping, folding laundry, or driving your kids to the game. You don't want to miss it. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice... Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. In a week where India is dominating the headlines around the world after their historic landing on the lunar south pole, we take a look at what the commercial space industry is doing in the country. 
Our guest today is Druverspace CEO and co-founder Sanjay Nakanti. I started off by asking Sanjay about how he started his company. Druverspace uh, was an idea, I would say, uh, that was taught uh, during my college days. I started building satellites when I was uh, 19 years old. One fine day after the success uh, of the first Chandrayaan mission, there was a scientist from ISRO who had come to uh, our university and said we as students could actually build satellites. For me, I I, I wasn't really sure if, if that is really possible. Right? I have this uh, unusual hobby, uh, which is being a ham radio operator. One of the early satellites that uh, students were building were all uh, based on uh, uh, amateur radio communications. So my university team uh, requested, you know, if I could be part of the satellite mission and be part of the whole program. And uh, that really got me into building satellites. And, you know, two years down the line, we were able to realize a satellite. And uh, I was thinking that, you know, uh, we're a country with a billion people in India, but there's not a single private company that exists uh, to serve the global market. So that was definitely the tipping point or the uh, inspirational point for me to think about starting a private space company in India. So you just mentioned it, that it's new to India, this idea of private space. Can you talk us through how that kind of came about and, and how difficult it has been for you to sort of disrupt the market, so to speak? India and especially the Indian Space Research Organization has done a lot of amazing things in space, right? Like we've gone to the moon, we've gone to Mars. We have one of the most reliable uh, launch vehicle programs in the world. I think uh, notable of them is we have flown more than uh, 350 foreign satellites on the Indian launch vehicle. So over the last 30 to 40 years, the Indian Space Research Organization has nurtured an ecosystem of small and medium-scale companies that have been building small components for the Indian space program. Uh, but majority of these guys have remained building those small building blocks, but important blocks for the Indian space program. But they never graduated from that phase to building like a full spacecraft or a full launch vehicle or, you know, even doing operations. So largely when we spoke about private space, there was definitely uh, a wall that, you know, is this possible, right? You know, as I just mentioned, when I as a student was building a satellite, that wall also existed for me that, you know, can we as students build satellites. So it definitely took a lot of effort to uh, break that barrier. But uh, I would uh, I would say... Uh, the initiatives taken by the Indian government to promote uh, entrepreneurship in general and bring in the startup culture has been like a major breakthrough in, in some of these uh, endeavors uh, seeing light of the day. Because uh, in the early phase, like you know, between 2012 and like say 2016, our audience would there was no audience to to to, uh, to speak. Like, you know, uh, if, if I would go to a, a private company and say, hey, you know, 
you're buying satellite data from from other countries, would you be interested in in having your own space asset? People people would be like, I don't think this is possible in India. Versus today, where you know companies really want to have their own space assets, I think we've come a long way. The timing is fine, a decade to get here. But to be very honest, I think the changes have happened on only in the last couple of years. And the growth that is being seen, especially in India, has been exponential and not like, you know, slow growth. So it's uh, it's fine. It's fun. So you have a um, MOU with the Indian National Space Promotion and Authorization Center known as InSpace. How much is that private public partnership important to Druva Space? See, InSpace is a new uh, body that is trying to enable private space uh, endeavors in India. Uh, so, you know, they're acting as a bridge, not just between government and private companies, but also in a lot of cases trying to enable the companies to also get customers, not just within India, but also outside of India. So they have a huge responsibility to to make this ecosystem grow and thrive. For us, uh, I would say the support that they have uh, extended uh, since their formation is very close to my heart, I would say, because uh, they have truly lived up to what, they have been created for. Uh, they have helped us at every, uh, you know, on, on our every mission to space, right? Like we have gone to space uh, less than three times in a in a year, and at every stage, uh, in space was instrumental in solving some of the hurdles that we had faced, whether it is in terms of coordinating with different uh, uh, agencies to get permissions, or it could be in the form of uh, getting access to test facilities, in certain cases also getting access to expertise from ISRO scientists. So you mentioned that you've been to space a couple of times. Can you talk us through the missions that Driver Space has already been part of? Sure. So our uh, first mission happened uh, on on the 30th of June, uh, 2022. We tested a separation, CubeSat separation system in this particular mission. For us, uh, uh, this was a this was like our first mission to space. So we were all uh, very uh, nervous because all the components of this particular contraption were uh, designed, developed, manufactured in India, and it had to perform. And yeah, it, it did its job. Its function was to, you know, hold a, a, a dummy spacecraft and uh, deploy it at a particular time. Because this was like a dummy spacecraft, we we didn't launch it into into space, but you know, it was sticking out of the of out of the deployer, not creating like a debris. So then, uh, our next mission uh, happened on the twenty sixth of November, twenty twenty two where we use the same separation system to deploy two satellites called the Thaipold 1 and 2. These two satellites are Dhruva's first two satellites, also India's first two privately built satellites authorized by the government of India. And uh, we just completed close to 7,000 orbits 
you know, of these two satellites. And the beauty of uh, the second mission is, is again the same, which is every component of these spacecraft has been designed, developed, manufactured in India, launched on the Indian launch vehicle using a separation system that is also built by us. So where I'm getting with this whole idea of doing everything by ourselves is that if we want to make space accessible to to people or if we want to make the ambitions of uh, several uh, organizations to have their missions in the orders of tens, hundreds or thousands of satellites, uh, we we should be able to serve that market. And hence, you know, we, we've been trying to build as many technologies as possible within the company. And we've been successful on the first and second mission. The third mission was slightly different. So this flew in April of uh, 2023, where we uh, tested uh, two more variants of the separation systems, which can hold larger size uh, satellites. One very interesting uh, part about this mission is the deployers, or you know, which are also called as the separation systems, were meant to hold payloads for extended durations. So, meaning, you know, if I want the same deployer to take a mission to a lunar orbit or a Martian orbit, this is like a small step for us that you know we should be able to hold the satellites for a couple of days and and then make the deployment happen. So we were able to test all these functionalities. So the last one year has been, you know, super, super fun doing these uh, three missions in record time. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. We briefly mentioned earlier in the show that along with Japan's slim lunar lander, JAXA is also planning on launching its CRISM satellite this weekend. The X-ray imaging and spectroscopy mission aims to observe X-rays coming from deep space and to identify their wavelengths with unprecedented precision. The space agency says that CRISM will perform high-resolution observations of hot gas plasma wind that blows through the galaxies in the universe. These observations will enable researchers to determine flows of mass and energy, revealing the composition and evolution of celestial objects. This innovative JAXA-led international project has been developed in collaboration with NASA, ESA and other partners. CRISM will carry forward the ambitions and successes of its predecessor, the Astro-H, and will deliver the highly anticipated scientific results to the world.
That's it for T-Minus for August 25th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in a rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and our podcasts, like T-Minus, are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was mixed by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. Thank you to our executive producer, Brandon Carr, for joining me on this episode. I'm Alice Carruth, and thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com.